Heavenly Father, we come again, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have with my sisters and my brother, Lord, that you've given us yet another day to partake in your word, that we might be edified of your truth, Lord. And we want your spirit of teaching ever present. Lord, we don't want any flesh to be glorified tonight, Lord. We don't want to utter words that don't come from you, Lord. So as I am in a loss without with words, Lord, I'm asking that you will speak through us. And I'm asking that your message gets across to people about what this mark is, Lord, what this whole thing is about. And what it boils down to at the end of time is why you call us to be spiritual and not physical. Lord, I'm just praying for a strong presence of the Holy Ghost. I pray for those, Lord, who couldn't make it tonight, those who are going through their issues and what they're dealing with. And Lord, if it be so, give us the spirit, Lord, that we may tell them things that may help them in their circumstances. A word in season, Lord, you said how good it is. So I pray. Lord, that you take this ministry over. I pray that your anointing stays on this ministry. I pray, Lord, that life can spring forward from it, not because of us, but because we fear and believe in you, Lord Jesus, the one true God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, everything that is not of you, Lord Jesus, I pray in your precious name, Lord, that you bind it, Lord, that you cast it out, Lord, that it have no place here, and that it will stop plaguing the brethren. Lord, for we know that the enemy is at work. He's come at me several times this week with attacks, Lord, and I had to tell him what a liar he was. Because anything that you began and you started with, Lord, you will finish. But all you want is availability, accountability, and faithfulness. And I pray, Lord, that we be accounted worthy to do such things, that we might truly be found as vessels fit for you to use, and that we might, be, we might not be, like the Bible says, like the hypocrite. But we want to be authentic. We want to be born again. We want the life of Jesus Christ to spring forward and touch other people, Lord, that they might get saved. Because in the end, it is all about winning souls, Lord. It is all about telling people the truth. And you know that it's going to take, it takes courage. It takes virtue, Lord. It takes truth to be able to tell the truth. So I pray that you search us out. I pray if there's any iniquity anywhere, Lord, within us, that you free us from it, that, we, that the chains, Lord, of shame and bondage may be broken, that we may be fully used of you. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, you are just, and you are true, and you are worthy of all praises. Lord, I pray that you do these things, not for our sakes, but for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called The Mark of the Beast. The Mark of the Beast. I know that we talk a lot about, you know, different things that we deal with, and we've tackled subjects like this concerning the Antichrist, concerning um, lots of other things that 
you know, relating to it. But, you know, I've been working on this study for about a good eight months because how much of the mark of the beast can you actually talk about before someone says, okay, I know about that. But, you know, there were other things that came in accordance with speaking of the mark of the beast. Like before you even get to the mark, it says if you receive a mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So it is important that we understand that this thing is not just about a mark. This thing is about a nature. This thing is about a frame of mind, okay, that is not just about, you know, um, what we do. Because you get a lot of people telling you, I'm not going to receive the mark. Oh, did you hear about it? I'm not going to receive it. Guess what? You might be already branded. The mark is just the finishing touches on what the devil wants to do. That mark will just show at the end of time that he owns you. And it will have some effects on you, no doubt. But the thing is, is it begins with the name of the beast or the number of his name. Meaning that if you have the nature of the beast, you will no doubt accept the mark of the beast regardless of what's going on. So that's why Jesus said that a man must be born of water and of the spirit so that he might see the kingdom of God. Now, you know that we might have had the mind of the world at one time, and Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. But what we need is the mind of Christ that we may stay out of these things. That is what's most important. Do we think like Christ? And that's what the word of God is for, that it may transform our minds, that we might be changed, that we may seek after the things that Jesus Christ wants. Because once we've got that in our hearts and in our minds, forget it. There's nothing that the enemy can offer you. And the mark of the beast is going to be none other than feeding your very nature that is within you. When the devil came, he didn't offer Jesus, you know, um, hell. Well, he didn't say, hey, I'll give you some demons to hang out with or, you know, hey, I can give you death and this and that. What did he offer him? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's what he offered. He said, hey, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things in the kingdom in a moment in time. Oh, don't don't um, don't deny yourself. You know, take this bread because after all, you are hungry. So when Jesus tells us to carry our cross. That, to me, is the antidote for the mark of the beast. That's something that we've got to understand, because if we die daily, what can you offer a dead man? Nothing. That's something to think about. What would a dead man want from you? Nothing. Exactly. You know, because it's like, hey, that's not of my nature. So, you know, every now and then we get glimpses of this. One of my biggest things was... I would love to argue to prove my point. And some people would say, well, you're still like that. But, you know, there were some things that don't affect me as much as they used to. It's kind of like when you really start to draw closer to Jesus, you don't care to really prove yourself as to who you are because you know that the Lord lives in you. So that's just one of the many things in our nature that the Lord can change. When he says he gives us peace, he gives us joy, he gives us long-suffering. He gives us faith, you know, love, these things, especially temperance, you know, being able to not be thrown by our emotions is another thing that will be really important to us for growth. All right. So um, let's get started in Genesis one. I want to go to Genesis one and 24. But, you know, one thing we have to understand about this mark because we're going to cover that, too. But the mark before you even receive the mark, you have a nature. And see, people think that they're going to be tricked into doing this. They're going to be tricked 
into wanting this. The devil doesn't have to do that. What he's going to do is make situations so bad and so desperate that all you are going to have to call on is the Lord or you are going to have what you desire from his system. So this, this is one of the things that we've got to understand because a lot of people think the devil's going to try and trick you into receiving it. No, there's no need to do that. The devil already knows that he has children in this world. He also knows that God has children in this world. What he would attempt to do is to keep you from becoming a child of Christ. I'm talking about a true son of God where you are led by the Spirit. Now, you know that that takes time, but the devil doesn't have to try and trick you into taking it. All he's got to do is keep you from Jesus, and he's already won. And that's why, if you notice, everything reverts back to type, no matter what. When, when, when it comes down to survival, when it comes down to pressure being applied to us and heat really on us, we always revert back to who we are. Now, for us, when, when we feel pressure, we get on our knees in prayer. Or we proclaim words in faith and say, well, Jesus Christ has got this. Lord, I'm trusting in you because this is all I know. That's because that's of your nature. But what if you didn't have that nature? What do you think is going to happen when things start to close up and, and nothing is available to you anymore because you trusted in the world? Where do you think you're going to go? You think you're going to call Jesus? If you have no relationship with him, he will be as far into you as the devil. Okay, you will go wherever you can find help. And that's something that the enemy is resting on. That's what he's hoping for. So, you know, we got to get unplugged, like the Matrix says, and really get into Christ. So, all right, Genesis 1, and we'll begin at verse 24. Anyone have anything to add? Any questions? They can. But, all right, this is Genesis 1. We'll begin at verse 24. And uh, the Bible says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth of the living creature after his own, I mean, after his kind, after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind and it was so and God made the beast of the earth and after his kind and cattle after their kind I want people to know that this has never changed mm -hmm. and we're going to get into that you got everything in this book after its kind that's something that we've got to understand and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So this is something that the Lord wants us to be aware of is that, you know, God gave man dominion over every creeping thing, over everything that is in the world. But you see, that's God's kingdom. And what did God see it as? It was good. So you would have to imagine now in a corrupt society, one that would be run by Satan, you see now, before man had the beast, now the beast has got you. You see the difference? Where God made man in his image and the beast were to serve him. In Satan's kingdom, man serves the beast. Not only does he serve him, but he becomes him. Mm -hmm. So this is important for us to recognize. So then he says, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Now you got to believe, we got to understand 
If God made man in his image, of course he would want man to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth. Why? The more like God, the merrier. I'm not saying he ever recanted this, but we got to understand that what we have today in fallen man and his nature was not of God. God never planned for this. When people always say, how can your God bring forth, you know, such evil and all this other stuff in the world? We got to recognize this isn't the world that God created. This is what we're dealing with. And he sent Jesus Christ as our grace that we might be like him. What are we going back to? The stage of Adam and Eve. But this time we will be like Christ. Okay, where Christ had that mind that he wouldn't, you know, yield to. I believe he was going to teach Adam and Eve everything they needed to know. The same way you and I get saved and we get the Holy Ghost, he was going to lead them into every righteous work that they might be fully like God. But because they were young, because they were naive, because they didn't know a lot, this ended up happening to them. All right, so he says, um, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over everything that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb uh, bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. And um, to you it shall be for me, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything uh, that he had made, and behold, it was not just good, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So what do we understand? Man and beast were formed on the sixth day. God gave man dominion over the animals, and now it just seems like the animal and man has become one. But this is something for us to recognize, that when we give in to our true nature that is outside of Jesus Christ, all we are doing is being what Adam and Eve were when they fell, and that is a beast without God. I just wanted to bring that point forth about the sixth day. God had always intended for man, when he breathed into man, to be like him. That's why he gave him dominion. You don't give animals dominion over animals. You give something higher with more uh, morals you know, um, over animals. So you know that God held man in very high esteem. So I just wanted to bring that forward. Let's go into um, Revelation 13, and we're going to examine that whole chapter. And then we're going to get into some other things. But I want you guys to look at something before I read it, because we're going to check out something in the book of Jasher tonight, because I want you guys to um, have an understanding of what you're reading. Now, what I'm about to hand out is Adam's lineage and um well this is Cain's lineage and this is Seth's lineage so I want you guys to take a look at that like how the um how the list goes because we're going to cover some things concerning that you can pass it around when you're done but if you can tell some of the names are similar it was almost like they um one was a cheap imitation of what was to be but it's just really interesting stuff concerning that so I'll go to Revelation 13 But it's really interesting how you see a few of the last names still in there. You got two Enochs, you got two Lamechs, you got Methuselah, and you got Methusael. <laughs> you know, and it's like the names are just so similar. 
You got Cain, and if you look further down, you got Canaan. I mean, that's like really, really close. All right. All right, Revelation 13, and we will begin at verse 1. And it says, And as I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So it is important that we understand here when it talks about that uh, John saw a beast rise out of the sea. He wasn't speaking of actual water. He was speaking of humanity. There's two ways that that can be taken. A lot of people think this beast is going to rise out of the abyss, but I can tell you why that really isn't so in this situation. But it says he had 10 heads, 10 horns, um, seven heads, 10 horns, and upon his um, heads, the name of blasphemy. So does anybody know what blasphemy means exactly? It is against God. I mean, blasphemy is to really defame. It's to speak negative of anything. But I like to use blasphemy like Christina did in its rightful place where you would have to say that they went against the God of the Bible. You know, that's where the word first originated. So that means that this guy is going to speak, I mean, you know, against God. This thing is just going to be so against God. Now, if we look at this system, because we know what the system is, this is the new world order. But if we look at where its horns are and what branches it actually has, look at every part of society, how God is blasphemed. Look at how nobody believes in God today, no matter what you say. You see how they got faith in the scientists, faith in their pastors, faith in the president, faith in whomever. But this is the type of system that we've come into, that it is so against God. So blasphemy is to defame like Christina was talking about and to really say some, I mean, really choice things against the God of the Bible. Like it just hates God. So it says, and the beast, and you notice, um, and upon its heads. That's what I meant to add to, upon its heads. Now we know that anytime we speak of the head and something written on the head, we're talking about the thoughts, which means the nature of this thing. So this thing has no appetite for God whatsoever. These thoughts are anti-Christ. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his, uh, his power and his seat and great authority. So what do we understand about this beast? This beast is a man, this beast is a system, and this beast is a nature. When it says it was like a leopard, you know that the leopard represented Alexander the Great in Greece. Now, you know, the reason why I believe the leopard was chosen for Greece is because Greece is, you know, it was a short period of time. It moved really quickly. It was stealthy. When you look at philosophy today, look at how it's just taken over education. Look at how people are even throwing philosophy in front of truth as if it's the, you know, as if these people have proof of what they're saying. So it takes nothing to be a philosopher. I mean, in many ways, it's like being a sorcerer. So it would have some Greek influence, like what you learn in school. You got Plato, you got Socrates, you got Homer, you got the Iliad, the Odyssey, and all that stuff that they teach you, which is anti-Christ. And then it says, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, meaning that this army would be massive. This army would be huge. It would crush everything that was in its path. And then it says, and the mouth, um, 
and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. So we know that this is speaking of Babylon. The lion was symbolic for Babylon. What was Babylon known for? Witchcraft. Okay, so witchcraft itself would be the driving force behind this kingdom. And this is how this kingdom would speak. And it says that the dragon gave him power in his seat and great authority. So who's powering this system up? It is Satan himself. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. So let's take this into what we're dealing with right now, because a lot of people believe that this was Rome. And in some ways, I partly believe it. You know, Rome was destroyed. Rome resurrected. You know, it's with the um, British Empire. Then it became America. But either way, Rome still has great influence in this world. Whatever we're learning today came way back when. Remember when Sarah and I, we were looking up um, what the uh, eagle was. And people think it's an American symbol. And it goes all the way back to Babylon, Rome, Greece, Great Britain. They all adopted that symbol of the eagle. I'm just making this point. Where we get democracy, where we get all these things, you know, the Bible is saying here that the whole world wondered after the beast. So when it wondered, it was in awe of, you know, it looked at it like, man, you know, this is so influential. This is good. I'm living the high life. Everything is grand. Everybody went after this beast and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. So it's no wonder like that day we had breakfast. We were all there outside praying, talking to people, ministering that, that um, Saturday afternoon. And then a guy just walked up, started following us around. So we went to try and minister to him. And what did he do? He opened his shirt. He opened his jacket. And you saw on his shirt, 666. Okay. And he said, and I said, oh, do you realize what that means? That's Antichrist. And he was looking at me like, oh, yeah, you better believe it. Antichrist. He was proud of it. So it's no wonder that this system can turn people because all you've got to do is get people to hate God and your mission is accomplished. If you keep people from loving Jesus Christ, your mission is accomplished. Now, I had an argument with a friend yesterday. I'm not going to say their names, but the point is, I don't even know if I call him a friend, but it was someone I was trying to minister to for some time. And no matter what I said to this person, they were getting angry, you know, about everything. And they said the reason why they were upset is because I'm closed-minded. I don't see the belief in other people's religions. I don't see why that's in, you know why I won't just understand that what everybody believes is beautiful, and I'm supposed to love everybody. So I told them because I'm not going to say whether it's male or female. I told them, I said, well, let me explain it to you this way. Did I write the Bible? My views of exclusivity, did it come from me or did it come from Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying exclude anybody from coming to know Jesus. But I said, you know, did I say that Jesus was the only way in my mind? Or did Jesus Christ himself say he was the only way? Did he call the, broad, the gate broad or narrow that would come to him? And you know what they said? Well, I don't have a problem with Jesus. See, once you bring it back to them... Now, I don't have a problem with Jesus because if you do admit that, then you are anti-Christ. So you know this already. So I don't have a problem with Jesus. It's you. I said, okay, so show me what I've done so we can actually talk about it. And hey, no, no, it's, it's you. Um, I'm not going to take the time to explain it. 
But see, the truth of the matter is what they were arguing about is they hate Jesus Christ, but they don't like the idea of hating Jesus Christ. They know right away what category that puts them in. So their problem became with me, but they couldn't tell me for one reason why they were so upset with me other than I'm closed minded about beliefs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I hate to say it because I don't know if this person and I are going to be cool anymore. But the thing is, is this. It boils down to one thing. There are two main powers in the world, and they both have children, okay? And their children are only going to be loyal to their fathers. No matter what type of relationship you have on this earth with a person, it does not matter. What matters in the end is who their father is and who your father is. Now, I'm not saying don't minister. You can minister to people. But if the person doesn't receive it and they become angry with you, then you've got to look a little deeper and see that there's something else going on. You can pray for them. You can encourage them. You can fast for them. I'm not against trying to win people to the Lord. But people got to understand either you are with Christ or you are Antichrist. Mm -hmm. But people don't want to believe this and they don't want to receive it. My daddy doesn't like your daddy. Your daddy doesn't like my daddy. That's what it boils down to. And sometimes we overlook it because we want people to come in. So you're like, all right, you believe something different. I do too. All right, but let's just be friendly. You want to know something? That doesn't work either. Because what boils down to it in the end is they're still mad about your God calling himself the only way. And, you know, if they want you to change your views to accommodate their friendship, then you got to know that that person wants you to deny your God. That's all it boils down to. We can get along as long as you open your mind. No, I'd rather be closed-minded and stay with the truth. Amen. So I just brought that up because, you know, it turned kind of ugly for a minute, but I had to come to the conclusion of how can I go forward with this person? I can't. That person has already chosen a side. They're already angry and they hate me for what I believe. But they will never admit that what I'm believing is this. Because that puts them in a different category. We have got to know that everything, like Pastor Price said, is tribal. You are either of one tribe or you are of the other. They've got no appetite for this. So it says, They worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? And I can tell you in most cases, this is why most people will have a loyalty to the world. This is why when you mention things, when you say, I don't care about the government, all I'm worried about is Jesus Christ and people will look at you strange. Because they cannot imagine anything going against this beast. There's no way in the world that we can operate outside of this beast. So when it says make war with him, yeah, the beast is going to be powerful, no doubt. But you see, why a lot of people are going to bow the knee is because they don't even think that this beast can be dealt with. Verse 5, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things, and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. So you notice first it went to a system with heads and horns. Then it went to the dragon, giving this, this system its power. Now it's going into a man who was given power to continue for three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God 
to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So this beast is at war with God. This beast hates the God of the Bible. But not only did he do that, he's blaspheming God and blasphemed his name. So what would the name of God be? Who are they really after? You think about it. I'm not trying to say like this is oneness Pentecostalism because it's not. But you got to think about it. No one has a problem with God. Some people will even admit that God is Elohim. They'll even have tattoos about it. They'll believe this. The only name that this world has problems with is Jesus Christ. When you mention Jesus, that changes everything. So he says, and his tabernacle. Now, you know, I, I was going to wait a little bit before going into this, but, you know, we may as well get it all out. This tabernacle, I truly believe because of Second Thessalonians 2 and others, that tabernacle is you. When you blaspheme the tabernacle of God, you keep that, that tabernacle from having the Holy Ghost, having the Spirit of God, getting into a relationship with Jesus. So this is what this beast is going to do. He's going to destroy the temple of God. And see, whether people are saved or unsaved, they still have to recognize that you're the temple of God. And that's why the devil tries so hard to get you tattooed from head to toe, get you pierced, mutilate your body so he can sit back and laugh. It's not because he wants to see you that way. He knows that when you do this, it hurts God. But I'm just, you're going to get into it, but I'm just going into the type of nature that is behind that who will receive the mark. And I'm not saying if you got tattoos, you'll receive the mark. I'm saying what the enemy is doing in plain sight. And them that dwell in heaven, verse 7. And it was given unto him, who? The Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So what do we understand? Satan is going to rule the whole world. He already does. That word for overcome is the word where we get in the Greek, Nike. When they say Nike, victory, just do it. If you look it up in the Greek, that's what the word overcome means. So he is going to have victory over the children of God in this life. Not in eternity, not for the whole war, but he is going to win battle after battle, wiping us off of the face of the earth. That's what he wants to do. Then it says in 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So we understand that the only people that are going to worship this individual are those who do not know the Lord, those whose names are not written in heaven. And, you know, you can have your name written in heaven. We have to keep our names written in heaven. That's what the war is about every day. Every day, while you can get into heavy prayer and you go out in the world feeling good, and you come back home and you just feel so worn, so beat up. You find yourself might even craving some of the things of this life. Well, those are the small battles that we go through in day-to-day -day life just to try and stay with the Lord like we should be. All right, let me continue. And if any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity will go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Why is it patience in the saints? Because you guys, we're going to see all hell breaking loose around us in this time. 
We're going to be looking to people that we can run to, and they won't be there. There may be some believers, I believe, that are going to band together, that are going to go through things together, but we're not going to be leading anybody captive, and we're not going to be killing anyone, okay? At least nobody human, and I'll tell you why I say that later on. But the thing is, is that that's the patience of the saints, that even in all turmoil, we are going to be like Christ through it all. So it says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake like a dragon. You guys know who this is. This is the false prophet. So in many ways, most people will not go to the beast because they may recognize that some of the things that he does are immoral. I mean, just straight up disgusting, wild. So this guy, he's got a partner. This false prophet is going to come forward. He's working in many of the churches and false religions today, bringing everybody on one accord. You got Rick Warren trying to introduce Chrislam. He's saying, hey, um, Islam and Christianity, they're all the same. There's no problem. All we need to do is come together. He believes that we call our God, God and Jesus Christ, our Lord, and they call their God Allah, and they're waiting on the Iman Mahdi, who is the Antichrist. But So he's believing and amalgamating this, and he's very effective. You got, uh, what's the other guy? Kenneth Copeland. He's um, telling people that he's bringing the Catholic Church, um, the, the Protestants, back to the mother of the church, which is the Catholic Church. So you got a lot of Protestants that used to stand against Catholicism. They're all running that way because they're saying there's no need to fight. We all know Jesus. We all love him. Let's go with him. So you've got this playing out everywhere. You've got New Agers claiming to believe in Jesus Christ. So this guy is going to come and put together what the Antichrist couldn't do on his own. He's going to come in love. He says he has two horns like a lamb. So this guy is going to be the nicest guy you ever met, and he's going to speak like a dragon. So he's going to entice people to come and follow him, and he's going to lead them all back to this beast. All right, so then it says, And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So I believe that this is a master stroke of the devil, because... Whatever the Antichrist is not going to be able to do through physical carnal means, through worldly things, he's got a partner that is going to make everybody feel warm and fuzzy through the religious system because most people won't go for atheism. It's already clear that the Antichrist is going to blaspheme God. So he needs somebody that's going to tell you, we're all children of God. We're all one in God. There's no reason to fight. Let's just come together and have it great. And when he speaks that way, he's speaking as a dragon. Why? Because Jesus Christ said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. He didn't come to cause war. He knew that there would be a war because of him. And that thing will divide families. All right. So then he says, um, I got a question. Yeah. Why is it that worship the first beast? It says, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. Well, and how is the deadly wound healed? Like well, if we take that this beast is system, that it's nature, that it's also a man, then we understand that if, let's just say, it was Rome that they were speaking of here, Rome has been revamped. 
instead of calling him an emperor now, you got the Pope. That's pretty much what it is. It's the same setup. So this um, false prophet, like, like Kenneth Copeland is doing, is bringing all the people together to worship the first beast. They're bringing everything home. So the, the um, false prophet may come in love, false love. He may come in trying to entice people. But what he's going to do after that is, okay, now I'm going to lead you guys over here, and this is God. This is Jesus, everybody. So you see, that's why we can't accept any Jesus that is not the one of the Bible, no matter how good it makes us feel. Because in the end, he's going to be telling you, this is the Messiah. No, you, you will hear for Jesus, right? This is Jesus. But see, they call him the Iman Mahdi. They call him Krishna. They call him the fifth Buddha. So you see? We can all be happy and bring this thing together in one. So he's going to bring people together that they may worship the first beast. And that's why if you're in false religion, get out of it. Because all it's going to do, they're going to talk more love than the Christian. While the Christian is going to be the one saying, no, Jesus Christ is the only way. There is no other name given amongst men whereby we must be saved. End of story. You either accept Jesus Christ or you will go to hell. That's the message that we're going to be preaching, and it's going to be strong. You know, because we've got to be bold. You're going to be speaking before hundreds and thousands of people that will probably have guns and machetes and things in their hands. But the point I'm making is, is that you are standing for Christ. But these guys, the false prophet and his, they're going to be walking around. You see, that's just such hate. you got to come with love. And that's what my friend called me. said I, was, I had hate in me. Because I wouldn't accept another religion. So you see, the message that they're bringing is going to sound beautiful. But the message that we bring, it's going to be, they're not going to tolerate it. We're not going for it. We don't want it. We brought the homosexual with us. We brought every other religion together. And we all love one another. But you, because of what you believe and what you want. You see, you can't be included in this because you're preaching division while everyone else is preaching togetherness. So you see, if we come like that, I mean, does that make any sense? That makes sense. I think it's kind of like the other way around. Like, you mm -hmm. know, this person looks at you and says, you know, you're against me. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're against you. You're against them because if you're not with them, it's like you're not my friend anymore. It's like I need somebody that's like me. Exactly. And that's what I, that's what I tried to tell him. I said, you know, with a Christian coming and telling you the truth, knowing that Jesus wants everyone saved. I said, that's not hate, that's love. I said, if I, if I knew that danger was coming your way and I, and I told you the truth, or I withheld the truth from you, I said, would that be considered love if I knew that you were going to get hurt? So, you know, in other words, I'm, I'm warning you of the danger that you might have it. And she said, well, you don't understand my point. So I, I said, whatever. But they said, you don't understand my point. But the thing is, is... What do you want me to do? Am I going to deny Jesus now to get along? Or am I going to tell people the truth no matter what in hopes that even if they leave me, that they will get saved? The world ain't going to tolerate this. Did I answer your question? With the, yeah. uh, okay. So it says in verse 13, And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So this is one thing we got to understand too. We worship Jesus. We don't worship the gifts. The Bible tells us to desire spiritual gifts because, you know, that's the manifestation of God. But don't worship the gifts because you're going to find many people 
that will do great signs and wonders before people. And they're going to say, well, see, this must be God. And you see, that's what's going to draw a lot of people, people in the new age today. What they're involved in most of all is, man, I'm getting experiences. I astral projected last night. I jumped out of my body and I went around the world and I've gone into people's houses and things like that. Astral projection is real. Remote viewing is real. There's nothing wrong with being called up. It's about who's calling you up. God can take you out of the body. He did it to Paul. But it's who's calling you. But see, these people just want the experiences. Real things have happened to me. So it's got to be of God. And they don't understand that the devil himself has power too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the religious arm is probably going to be more deadly than the, than the uh, world arm, which is the devil, than the government. Because the Antichrist is going to come in love. The Bible already says that. He's going to come with flattery. He's going to come with peace. And you see, if you're not warlike for Jesus, if you're not a soldier of Christ, then what you're going to do is accept the olive branch. Thank you. There's no need to fight. And we're not fighting, but we're telling people the truth. So this is 14. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, um, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. So this is important too because a lot of people are speculating what the image of the beast is. I personally believe that the image of the beast is going to be that iron and miry clay. I believe that there will be... Um, people that have computer things in them. I believe that they're talking the time of Terminator, RoboCop, whatever you want to name it, AI, artificial intelligence, all these things will be, and they'll probably be mixed with some type of animal too. And why do I believe that this is the image of the beast? Because in the days of Daniel, they had an abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke that when the abomination of desolation would come, that, you know, he said, stand in the holy place. So the defilement of man is going to be the image of the beast. The image of the beast is going to be man, period. Now, what type of man will be one that probably won't be able to be redeemed? You see, so he's got to destroy the image by implantable technologies, by making you half wolf and half this. And this is what they're conditioning people for with these superheroes. This is why you got Avengers 2, 3, and 4, you got Thor, you got the Hulk, you got Batman, Superman, Aquaman, because they're going to try and get to your imagination and make you say, man, why be a regular human when I can see like an eagle, when I can actually fly and scale the walls, when I can be godlike, like I want to be. So this is what they're working on with people. But the image of the beast is going to be man. It's going to be a different type of man. It will not be able to hold the spirit of God. But it will be something different than we've all seen. All right. So it says, um, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship, the image of the beast should be killed. So we understand just by looking at 15 that the image of this beast will be able to speak. It sounds shocking. Like the image should be able to speak. Now, if the image was just a straight man, then you would say, okay, well, yeah, I mean, men speak. But there's going to be something different about this image that regular, it shouldn't really be able to talk. 
but it does because of them giving life unto the beast. Now, I want to make this point too, you know, this is not kind of like the subject, but I'm trying to give people an understanding. Do you, Martin would probably remember this, maybe Sarah, but do you remember the, um, the movie Christine in the 80s? Remember with that killer car that, that caught some type of, um, had like a demon, it was like a possessed car. Yeah. And I mean, you could be sitting in the living room and the car would jump up. If it, if it was after you, it'd come right through your house and get you. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because they're already making things where they expect machines to have demons. Okay, like instead of a demon needing you like, like normally, this is going to be something where life will be given unto the image that that image should be, you know, it would have a body to work through. Yeah. What's even more interesting about that movie is it actually changed the personality of the person driving the car. Exactly. It made them, if the guy driving it was like this little nerdy geek at first, mm -hmm. and over the course of time, he became more bold and more rebellious because it was like he and the car were one. Exactly. I was looking at a movie, Terminator 2. I know I shouldn't have been watching it. Y'all can get on me for that. But the thing is, is this. You know, I looked at it because I noticed that they were trying to tell you something in Hollywood. Now, if you guys have ever seen Terminator 2, you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. He comes in a, um, like a rebel. He put on biker clothes and he had a, a you know, a motorcycle and he just looks like a rugged thug, like a criminal. But when the other guy came, because Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to help J.C., John Connor, Jesus Christ, okay, he was supposed to come and help him, but then you had the bad guy come in a policeman's uniform. He came like a respectable citizen in society that everybody would trust to meet his agenda. And then at the end of the movie, how did they both die? They were in a lake, a lake of fire. Okay, they both went in there to be destroyed. But if you just look at it, it's just it's just telling you so much about what these people are talking about. Sounds like a Mormon movie because they're brothers. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what they're trying to say. It, you know what? It may very well be. All right, but let me get through this before I lose my audience. What's that verse where it talks about the, uh, some beast that, like, you know, it, it, it was but it's not... And yet is that's yeah, Revelation yeah. seventeen. Yeah, so that's mm -hmm. something like, like that. That's a, that you know used to be a person, but it's not anymore. Mm -hmm. But now it's with something else. Like it's got some mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. Therefore, a demon can possess. They can take control over him. Exactly. They're even talking about the um, like Jurassic Park that they can actually take DNA and make anything over. They can bring back stuff from long ago, and they believe that the Egyptians knew this which is why they mummified bodies to save the remains. So some people think they weren't thinking of the past. They were thinking ahead, thinking that Ramses II can be brought back. Nimrod can be brought back. You know, we're, we're entering a time now that, I mean, a science fiction writer wouldn't be able to make up. I mean, it's heading that way. So if they don't worship this beast, that they would be killed. And it says, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads. So we understand wealth is not going to save you in this time. You know, powerful or not is not going to save you. Whether you're in prison or not is not going to save you. Okay, and it says to receive a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads. So that's a technological statement. 
when it talks about in now you would say maybe even 70 years ago 60 years ago people would have said oh that just means on no it means in because the technology is there today so you see how the bible is just timeless like it'll tell people them that you know they're going to cause these people to receive the mark verse 17 so this would be just like the image at the beginning of the chapter with the the, you know, blasphemy written on the forehead. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. like, They're going to copy the beast. Right. That is exactly right. right. That's the Martin picked that up. I didn't even notice, but that is the image of the beast. It's gonna, it's gonna mimic its dead. And also, like with the right hand, it could be like obviously, what's the right hand? It's like, mm -hmm. it's the, they, you know, somebody's right hand is an important person. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, like almost like they, they, they. they they buy into it. They're like, you know, becoming this important person now, mm -hmm. but they're blasphemy. Mm -hmm. They're they're the exact image of the beast. And that's why, if you look at people like, well, let me read seventeen, and I'll get right to that point. But it says, "And no man uh, might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name." So we got to understand here that when it says. They won't be able to buy or sell. You know, to be honest with you, this is already going on on a different scale. If you look at people like Lil Wayne, somebody that should be in the back of somebody's liquor store, just hanging out in the alley, this guy has become a multimillionaire. Why is he made a millionaire? Not because he's a genius, because he can pump your children full of ignorance and things that are antichrist, so the devil will pay him handsomely for it. This is what we're getting in society. This is why we're running into people like this. But the devil is not going to play that game with celebrities any longer. Why? Some celebrities have found Jesus and walked away from this. So the devil is going to make the situation so desperate that it's going to come to a point of, hey, it's either me or Jesus. And you won't be able to buy or sell. So this thing is going to creep up on people. And that's why the Lord leaves us his word. But you won't be able to have any of this. So you better figure something out. But see, the devil says, okay, if you are going to receive this mark, then you've got to do what I tell you, and I've got to own you. This is going to be ownership. For people that understand what this RFID chip is and this other stuff that they're working on, I've heard from some people that have worked in their lab says that this mark will not be able to allow you to pray. You won't even be able, it won't even be a thought in your mind. You would instantly be reprobate from the moment you had taken it. Now, that's hard to fathom. But you will truly be what you already were. But there'll be no chance of return. There'll be no chance of redemption. So the devil, he paid some Hollywood stars. And many have been killed for coming to truth. I mean, coming to the truth. Many of them have escaped and living normal lives now. And the Lord has protected them. But he's not playing that game any longer. Hey, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. Now, you cannot just walk up to the devil and say, let me get the mark. It's not going to work that way. He says you have to worship. So it takes a certain kind of mind. The devil's going to look right at you. If you say, well, can I get the mark? He's going to say no. All right? I'm telling people firsthand what it's going to be like. You've got to worship. That's why he's strong-arming people into it. He's taking away the things that we think are going to be so important, but it won't do anything for you. Oh, you want to know? There's no place to buy. Walmart's got everything now. We've all got super centers. That's what they're building. 
They're amalgamating everything together so that people will, you'll have to go to Walmart. You'll have to go to Target. All these small businesses, I see them closing up everywhere. They're going to be crushed. It's going to be one amalgamated pipeline, and you can either receive that mark or not. Here's another thing Sarah and I did. We're going to get into this, but here's another thing we did. We went into Walmart one day looking for something. I don't know why the Lord told me, look at the prices on things and count them. And I did, and almost every single one of them was either went up to 13 or 26 or 52 or something like that. But it was like in a 13 times table. And if it wasn't 13, it was six. But it was just so crazy how even when they have that little six-pointed star for the Walmart symbol, you know, all that stuff that they have together, I mean, this place is truly <laughs> the place of Satan. It's so crazy. You ever look at their prices? They don't make sense. Like, why would you do something like um, 198.78? Who does, who does, you know what I mean? Prices that way. But they'll give you the most odd things, 1944. What's going on with that? But this is, this is how much the beast is worshipped in places like this. And witchcraft at the highest level. So he says that they would receive a mark or had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. As we talked about earlier, you will have to be able, it's not just the mark. The mark is only the finishing point, but it says, or the name of the beast. Do you have his title? Do you identify with him? That's something we've got to understand. If you've got the mind of Satan, you will do everything that he tells you to do. One big mark, one big point about this mark or this, this um, name of the beast we got to understand that the Antichrist stands for total selfishness. That's why he can enter into homosexuality. Now, I don't care what anyone says. You can't love somebody in homosexuality doing that. All right? And I, I might have to get graphic here just to make the point because I want people to get saved. But how do you release body waste into somebody's mouth or, or other places that you know that you're not supposed to be in? That is about as unclean as you can get. And you're going to tell that person you love them, but you've got to understand that that spirit is all about me, what I can get out of it. I've got to love you my way. I've got to sodomize you so that you can see my love when really there's no love at all in this. So you see how warped, you see how twisted it is? But the, the spirit of the Antichrist in this mark, in this name of the beast, is about total selfishness. I mean, you can even see it happen to Christians. You tell them something about what the Lord may want, and what do they come with? Me, my. See, the Lord is, he's doing it for me. See, right away, you're already in that place. There's nothing wrong with having a relationship. Salvation is an individual affair, but the church doesn't work alone. We are all members of one body. But you see, if the devil can get you into you, he's done his job. So this thing is going to touch on so many levels. But the main thing concerning Antichrist or the name of the beast is selfishness. How Jesus came down selfless, never to wor never worried about himself, never spent a day involved in him, only doing what the Father said to do, even at the expense of his own life. That is, that is Christ-like. But Antichrist, me, my, and I. No matter how it is at the end of the day, I've got to be taken care of. I've got needs. I've got wants. And I don't care what I have to do to get them. That is Antichrist. 
So he says, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. So I believe that that would be man. I believe that that would be beast man. And I believe that that would be man without God, never reaching his full potential. That's what the mark is all about. People are sitting there waiting for a silly, stupid mark. When the truth of the matter is, it's your nature that's going to do you in. Not this mark. It's if you know Jesus Christ. How much do you give to the brethren? How much do you preach the word of God? How much are you available for Jesus Christ to work with you? But people are sitting here worried about the mark. Man, you've already taken it if you don't know Jesus. And that's a fact. And you got to know him for real. Why? Because of the religious side of things is going to draw a lot of people to. The Bible talks about a great falling away. And many people, and this is another thing of the beast. The beast will honor man more than he would God. When you hear humanism, that, that's the thing that goes against Jesus Christ. You know, what man can do, what Einstein said, what Martin Luther King did when he was here. You know what? They may have some good perks in society, maybe not. But the end all be all is Jesus Christ. But you see, when you worship man, you know what you'll take over man? Your family, your friends, your wife, your children, anything that goes against God. And that's why we've got to love him first. Now you see why the Lord is telling us, man, love me above all. I don't care about your, all your other relationships that you've got. You've got to love me first. If you stay anchored to him, then there's nothing that the enemy can do to you. But if you love something more than Jesus, the devil will find you out because that's what he does. He will put it to the test. All right, let's move on. Let's go to um, Ecclesiastes 3. If you guys want to add something, you can. But um, let's go to Ecclesiastes. No, matter of fact, Jeremiah... Jeremiah 3. And then get Ecclesiastes 3 if you can. And you know, the Lord, praise him. I mean, I love the Lord. He showed me in so many areas these last few weeks where I'm weak. I can sit there and preach and, oh, la, 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 and the Lord this and that. But there were a few situations, including a situation with my friend, that, you know, kind of checked my spirit a little bit. Because, you know, as much as I wanted to tell that person, hey, you know what, find Jesus or whatever, I'm not going to deal with you. There was a part in my flesh that perked up and said, make friends with them. Don't let them go. They've been such a nice person. You see, but I had to say, this is not about me. This is about Jesus. What can happen to me if I pursue a friendship with this individual and if I yield just a little ground, how much more might I yield? To the point to where I'm almost ashamed to mention the name of Jesus because I'm worried about this? Oh, no. Not me. Not me, pal. <laughs> you know they say? All right. Or Jeremiah 3 and verse 1. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him, and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. So right now we get a glimpse that Jesus Christ, I mean, well, you know, I believe this is the Lord, but you get a glimpse of God's heart. 
He's saying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get to you and work with you. I'm trying to even bring marriage up as a point to let you understand. Wouldn't you be greatly polluted if you left me and went off on your own life doing your thing and now you want to return to me? You know, I mean, God has feelings too. Look at two. Lift up thine eyes uh, unto the high places and see where thou hast been lying uh, with in the ways uh, hast thou sat for them as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thine whoredoms and with thy wickedness. So God is looking at the children of Israel. He's seeing the idolatry within them, the things that they're doing, the things that they're worshiping. And he says in verse 3, Therefore the showers have been withholding, and there have been no latter rain. So we know that these showers are like literal showers that will... Um, give the harvest, you know, uh, have um, crops ripe for the harvest so that Israel can eat. But we know that this also has a deeper spiritual meaning because the latter rain is what we all wait on. The latter rain is baptizing the spirit. The latter rain is having the abundance of God for growth. So he's saying that those things have been withholding. Let's find out why. And there have been no latter rain, and thou hast a whore's forehead Thou refusest to be ashamed. So we understand that a whore's forehead would be someone that thinks like a whore. Like in other words, you might want to be loyal to God in some ways, but I got too many wants and desires that I need. That's a whore. Because instead of giving God your loyalty, you're giving it to everything else. So he says they have a whore's forehead and they refuse to be ashamed. So not only are they cheating on the Lord in their minds, and that's what's leading them to do what they do. But they like it. They have no shame in it. Yeah, I did it. So what? We're talking about the reprobate mind. We're talking about that mind that does not want God. So we have to make sure we don't have whore's foreheads. Because a whore, everybody knows whether he's a whoremonger or, or, or she's a whore. You're going to be disloyal. The Bible even told people in Leviticus, don't even marry somebody like that because they won't love you the way that you are supposed to. They will not stay loyal to you. Now, that was Leviticus, so I'm not trying to bring that up. But the point I'm making is, is that harlotry can live in the heart of even believers. And that's why the Lord slowly has to pluck these things out that we might be faithful. That's what the whole thing of sanctification is all about is having the mind of Christ that we might grow. So I just wanted to bring that point up about the horse forehead because those who receive the mark, if you love anything more than Jesus, you will definitely receive the mark if God doesn't come into your life or you don't seek him and have a relationship with him. If we feel pressure right now, even though we're not in persecution, even though we don't even have the guts to speak up, even though there are things that we just can't quite give the Lord. Now imagine under intense pressure, there's no way for you to survive unless you receive a mark. What do you think people are going to do? You might last a few days, maybe even a week, but when your stomach starts growling, you know, you're going to go after what you want. Now I believe in these times God is going to look after his people. He will pour manna from heaven. He will do what is necessary that we might be sustained. But if we can't even stand to the pressure now, what makes you think that you're not going to have it then? 
That's why he tells us to carry our cross. That's why he says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Not that you can't love anyone else, but you got to understand, it's Jesus on the highway. That's the way that we've got to see it. Now, I'm not saying don't stay in and win people to the Lord. If people are willing, you can check on them from time to time. You know, send them scriptures or prayer or whatever you've got to do. But don't let anything come between you and Jesus. Because between you and Jesus is the devil. And if he can put that little wedge between you and God, you won't even think twice before you receive this mark. Let's move on. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 3. And if I'm feeling the pressure now, I know I've got to power up. I know I've got to get more into Jesus. If there's things I'm already having a hard time with, man, we got work. All right. Let's go. Um, it's Ecclesiastes. Uh, let's start in 14, uh, 3 and 14. Ecclesiastes 3 and 14, and it says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. So we got to understand that no matter what God does, he is right. And we've got to begin there first. Fear of the Lord. I don't care if we don't understand it. Ask the Lord for understanding and he'll give it to you. But whatever decision God makes, whether you like it or not, is right. Get it in your heart. So that way when you hear it, you won't have any ill feelings towards him. Because you've got a lot of people praising Jesus, but in their heart, they hate him. Because he won't let them do what they want to do. 15. That which hath been, um, which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. So in other words, just because you've got past things, you better make sure that you've repented because God never forgets. That's pretty much what Solomon is saying. Verse 16, And moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in mine heart, uh, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Now, if you guys remember at the beginning of Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon goes into a long line of, it's a time for play. It's a time for this. It's a time for death. It's a time to mourn. It's a time to laugh. He's telling people that there are times for all things. But we got to have the Lord govern these things. Why? Because you know what we'll put on our list? You see, what God would say, it's a time for this, 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 and this, and he in the center. You know what we would do? Fun, 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 fun. Money, 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 money. God, fun, 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 money, 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 you know? Like we would will, we will tend to enjoy what we want and not get into what God wants. So God is going to let us do that. Verse 18, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. I'm working on this with an individual at work right now because... He's an atheist, and I mean, he's an intelligent guy, but, you know, it's like when you try and explain things to atheists, they swear that they know everything inside out. It's like no matter what you say, they've got an answer for it, but, you know, I want to say to him, okay, so you're a righteous man. He'll say, yeah. 
say, man, ain't you shacking up with your girlfriend? You know what I'm saying? I don't want to go there with him, but I'm just saying that no man is righteous. Like we talked about Sunday, we've got to get to the point of, you know, God's righteousness being the only real righteousness. Because you know what we do where we work? We'll tell the kids, don't curse. Don't say that. Don't say these nasty things. Be like this. Now, some people would say, that's good. You're helping out the children. But when the kids go home, guess who's cursing now? Guess who's got the filthy mouth? Guess who's talking about all their disgusting things in the workplace? It's the staff themselves. So think about it. How can we tell the kids what not to do if that's how we are? And see, God doesn't come from the standpoint of do as I say, don't do what I do. What God does, he wants us to do. So God's righteousness is true. And outside of his righteousness, you really got perverseness. You've got twisted minds, people who are good by their own righteousness. But see, Jesus Christ, I love him because he'll cut you down to nothing. You know, it's like, you know, somebody might say, well, he's a murderer. And the Lord will turn to you. Aren't you a fornicator? You know, do you realize you and him are the same person in my eyes? Because you're both sinners. So that's why he tells us, take the beam out of your eye that you may see clearly. Then you can go and tell someone else about theirs. You know, so that's what's important because um, Solomon is saying here, he's hoping that men may find God, that they may recognize that they are beasts. If we really step back and take a clear look as to who we are, we're not righteous aside from Christ. We have a double standard. If someone says, you did it, well, that was different because I did whatever. No. I mean, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. Verse 19. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts, even one thing befalleth them. And as one dieth, so dieth the other, yea, they have all one breath. So that a man have no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. So this is true. If we were to look at things in God's evaluation, aside from God's word, and let's just say we have a great life in everything that we do, we're still scheduled to die. And if we're vain, in many ways, we're just like beasts. Why? Because, you know, you don't have to, a dog doesn't, you know, tell you what kind of food he wants to eat and stuff like that. Dogs act on impulse. You get what I'm saying? I see it. I want it. You know, and God wants us to have more self-control and restraint than that. You know, it's like, man, stop eating from off the floor and come and sit at the master's table. But you see, beasts are without control. That's another sure sign of this, of this sign of a beast. No control. I see it. I got to have it. How many, I mean, let's be real. How many men will tell their wives, and, and she probably wants to be close to you that night, hey, wait a minute, I got to go pray. I got I to gotta give the Lord his time. Most, you know, men or women, oh, well, you know, I'm glad you came. I worked hard after all, and... You know, I need some comfort. I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm just saying, how many people got a heart for the Lord where we can turn away that? But we can really tell our boss, you know what? Because of the standards of this place and how it is, you can keep all of this money, all of this stuff. And I, I'm going to go on with Christ. How many of us can say that? And I'm not saying to do that. I'm just making a point that, you know, how much do we hold the Lord in that high regard that if we saw something, not right, that we would either address it or, or just, you know, cast it aside, at least for a minute, to be able to have time with the Lord. 
And this is what's going to be required in the future. God needs the time that we need, that we give to everyone else. Verse 20, all go unto one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? So we understand we got two types of nature here. You know, they, they seem somewhat the same because how science will label us, we're mammals. And then they'll give animals some stupid name that they come up with, Apithecus Amaropithus, or whatever. You know, that they go with, and then what are you? You're a homo sapien sapien. Well, in God's eyes, you know, it's supposed to be wise, wise man. But in God's eyes, God sees us to have a different nature that goeth upward. Because you see, when animals die, their soul or whatever doesn't go to heaven. Okay, the, the bottom line is God is looking for us to be called up higher. When he says, my ways are not your ways. So you see, the spirit of the righteous, that which is like Christ, is going to be lifted on that last day. Why? Because Christ lives in it. But something that has the nature of the beast, it's going to go downward. Because it's lowly. Because it's earthly. Because it's sensual. And it's lastly, devilish. Let's go to James 3 real quick. I want to make this point. Don't let me over talk y'all guys. Y'all got something to say. You know, this. I don't want to just be da 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 Is it too hot in here? No. All right. No, everything that you're saying is on point. Everything the Lord is saying is on point. I had no idea how I was going to present this tonight. All right. So when you look at this, uh, let's start at verse, no, let's start at verse one. So he says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and is able to bridle the whole body. So what is our biggest problem? The mouth, you know, if we can just put that under wraps. Man, we are probably 70% home. That's something to think about. Verse 4, Behold, all the ships, which, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the, gover the governor listed. So in other words, you know, if you've been in a ship, which I haven't, but I guess I've seen enough movies where they talk about, you know, the ship may be great and it may be big to go with the waves and other things. But all the captain's got to do is, you know, turn it or even when you row and the boat will turn right along with it. All right. So he says, verse five, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how, a, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Now, that's true, too. This is something we've got to think about. Gossip and all these things that we think don't hurt people. And I've been guilty of this, man. And this is what I'm praying to the Lord about, that I have good thoughts towards people, whether they are of Christ or they are not. It is it is so easy to get caught up in, yeah, you see the way they're doing this? See, this is what I'm trying to say. Now, you know, the Lord is like, if you ain't got nothing good to say, or if it ain't about me, then really say nothing. What What's so interesting about Jesus is how little he talked. But when he did, you get what I'm saying? It was meaningful. It was fruitful. It was about something. But half the time when Jesus, people would say things to him, you were like, Jesus, aren't you going to defend yourself? 
And he was just writing in the ground. Well, they were saying all these things about the woman. He wrote as if he didn't hear them. But I, I want that type of control being led by, by the Spirit. When to speak and when not to. Man, this is, this, is, this is what it's all about. So you see, a little fire can turn into a roaring blaze. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among, all, among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of the nature and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. So notice the man can actually tame all, there's nothing that that man can't tame. You go to the aquarium, you'll see killer whales jumping up in there as long as they tell them to. But they don't tell you how they abuse these animals in order to get them to obey. But the point is, as man can tame almost every great thing that is in the world. And then he says, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly, it is an unruly evil and full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so, or so to be. So we understand when Jesus was able to speak the right things, it was because Jesus was led by the Spirit. So you see how we could be led by the Spirit and we may not be partaking in physical sin anymore, that he's cleaned those things out of our lives. But do you see how your mind and even your mouth still has to be brought under subjection? Because, you know, the devil can play an old trick on you. He can get you angry. Or he can get you worried about something and outruns your mouth about the situation, defiling the whole thing that God had planned for you. So you've got to be careful with that. So it says, out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? So in other words, you got one or the other. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So this goes right back to what Jesus said with James is addressing. A good tree bringeth forth good fruit. An evil tree bringeth forth evil fruit. We've got to understand that Jesus gave us the spirit of discernment because he knew that evil has a beautiful side. That's a, that's a teaching we got coming up too, the beautiful side of evil. Because you got to understand, we measure everything with God. You got some really nice, well-intentioned people in the world. But when you bring up Jesus, they got no appetite for it. They got no appetite for the real gospel. They love to feel warm and fuzzy and love all these things, but they got no appetite for the truth. See, so you got to regard people according to the truth of God. Now, my friend, I think, is a very nice person in terms of being nice, in terms of, you know, always happy, always in a jolly mood, you know, really tries to see the lighter side of things. But I notice when I talk about Jesus, there's another thing that perks up. There's this feeling of, why are you talking about him? So you can see behind all that beauty, behind all that niceness, behind all that love that they have, there's a real hatred for truth. I can't, I can't dwell with people like that because what drew me closer to Jesus Christ was seeking the truth. I, I wanted to believe Jesus. I was raised to believe him, but I didn't know him for self. 
I didn't know anything about the, the real truth, but like Jesus Christ said, the spirit of God leads you into all truth and righteousness. So beware when people don't have an appetite for the truth, because that is, that is the main thing when you walk with Jesus. He is called the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Ghost. When they don't like truth, you've got to ask yourself, what is it that is there? Jesus didn't mind the truth. So it says, verse 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him shew out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So meekness is, you know, humility, lowliness, like we talked about, uh, I think, a week or two ago. And it says good conversation. So he's talking about a lifestyle full of humility and full of wisdom. Not our wisdom, but the wisdom of God. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. So he's warning us here, if you've got that in you, hey, don't glory in that. You ask the Lord to take it from you and don't lie against the truth. Well, another thing that this mark is going to do, that this nature of this beast is going to do, it's going to tickle your senses. It's going to make you feel warm and fuzzy. It's going to make you feel great. And we've got to ask ourselves, why? Because you know something? I don't care if I go into a church and a pastor is preaching fire and brimstone. All I've got to come down to one conclusion is what? Is it the word of God? And is he telling the truth? I'm not offended by other people's men. I don't care. Are you telling me the truth? I can listen to some good motivational speakers, some pastors out there that know the word, and they crack jokes and stuff like that. Hey, I'll be right there laughing with you if you're telling me the truth. But if you're withholding truth, like Paul says, in unrighteousness and deceitfulness, then I've got to question, what is the motive behind this individual? But God is trying to tell us, man, so we don't fall. Verse 15 this wisdom descendeth not from above. So he's given us a clear sense. This is not God's wisdom that, that um, what does it say? It's bitter, envying and strife in your hearts and, um, and it lies against the truth. So anything that would lie against the truth is not of God. So he says it doesn't uh, descend, uh, not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and devilish. Pastor Price has a good teaching. You guys look, um, check it out when you get the chance. It's called Earthly, Sensual, and Demonic. But he brought up a good message concerning this because you see, earthly is a nature. What would earthly be? Worldly, carnal. That's the carnal man, the, the five senses, the natural man. And then he says sensual. So not only is he earthly in mind, he's got to feel good in order for it to be good. I don't care. Is it true or is it not? And lastly, devilish. Because once the devil can keep your mind earthly and not heavenly, once he can get you sensual and not spiritual, the only thing left for you is demonic. The only thing left for you is the devil because he pulled you away from God. That's one thing about Jesus. He told you what was what and did not care. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion, which is perversion in every evil work. So we might have disagreements, but when confusion is there and it remains, we've had disagreements among ourselves. But you see how at the end of it, the Spirit brought us right back on one accord? Because God was at work. But when you keep confusion, when you keep perversion, when you keep things that are not right, that's not an atmosphere for God. 
God wants nothing to do with that because it doesn't glorify him. So then it says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, meaning true, and is peaceable, and is easy, I mean, and gentle, and easy to be entreated. I got a teaching coming up on gentleness too, because people think gentleness is this. You know, you just kindly pick it up very lightly. And that's not gentleness. Gentleness is to be able to be, what do you call it? Like not easily angered. Not quick to wrath, not quick to strife, but you are, you know, you're handling things in a manner of humility. Like you don't have to raise your voice to hurt someone. You can just tell a person straight up. Right, exactly. It's like having poise. But that's gentleness. But some people think gentleness is, hi, brother, I just wanted to tell you something. And I don't know what that is, but that's not gentleness. The reason why God has such gentleness, that shows God's strength. We've got to understand this. This is not because I'm afraid to offend or I'm scared, you know, so I've got to touch it this way. It's because God is almighty, all-powerful, and all-knowing. But towards us, he's gentle. Because it's like, you know, guys, if I really had to show force here, you're not going to win this. So, you know, he works with us slowly. He helps us get through things. We've sinned against him. We've hurt him. But his gentleness is just, you know... It'll be all right. They'll get it together. I'm going to talk to them. But God also has his time of visitation. When he comes to visit you, then we've got a problem. But he is, he is a gentle God. But you know, he's not gentle to the point of not his wrath being shown, not to be able to judge the world in the end when the world is wicked. So you know that he's got more than, you know, one thing. It all depends on what fruit is necessary for which time. And he can do it anytime he wants. He's God. So it says, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So if we're going to walk with Christ, we need to be like him. Because if we've got partiality, like when people have double standards and righteousness, when we have hypocrisy, that means we claim to be one thing, but we're doing another. So God wants to take these things out of us that we must be first pure. Because outside of God, we have a beast-like nature. You don't even know it's there until somebody made you mad. How many times have you felt godly until somebody offended you? And I'm talking to the saved people in here. And all of a sudden, something perks up and you, you know, you're ready to rip into that person because, <laughs> you know, that's what's in you that the Lord is trying to get rid of. Man, we all godly until somebody steps on your foot or so, you know, touches a nerve. Then you're like, no, no, I'm going to deal with this. And someone's got to tell you, that's not the way of the Lord. And then you, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. But but you almost got to get brought back to your senses because outside of God, you are a beast. So, you know, we've got to get out of that nature. Let's go to Genesis 4 because I don't want to waste too much time. Um, this yeah. pastor said that's got a big church. So, you know, you're, you're godly until you have to leave the parking lot. Mm-hmm. It's such a big church with many cars. It's like people can get angry. <laughs> oh, yeah. People get mad. <laughs> it's true. Now, I want to bring up this thing. I'm going to read a little of this. But if you guys want the full story, and, and I want to be careful how I say this, the book of Jasher really is a good read. It really puts things into perspective. I think what the Bible was doing in many cases, I'm not saying it left anything out. It pointed towards the things that were most important. 
but the book of Jasher actually lays out a little extra. And the book of Jasher is, you know, mentioned in the Bible twice. So we know that it's a real book. But I always judge it according to the word of God. So we're going to read a little of Genesis 4. And then I'm going to read part of the book of Jasher because I, I want you guys to, um, you know, get some more understanding with this. So this is Genesis 4 and verse 1. And it says, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So as we understand here, there were two types of nature here. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, meaning what? Abel was like Christ. A keeper of the sheep cares for the sheep, protects the sheep, you know, and, you know, he's a good guy. But a tiller of the ground, I'm not saying he's bad, but it's a dirty job. And, you know, if you till the ground, most likely you're looking toward the ground. So your mind is earthly and not heavenly. It depends what kind of seed you that's true too and she again oh, oh, verse um, 3 and in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof and the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now, the book of Joshua is going to put more emphasis on this, but, I, you know, you guys have to understand, Abel gave the Lord the firstlings of his flock. What did he give him? His absolute best. He said, Lord, this is for you. I don't know what he gave him, maybe his best sheep or whatever, but the book of Joshua is going to put more emphasis on this. So, you know, Cain's offering was refused. If thou doest well... Um, on the uh, verse six, and the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So the Lord said a mouthful right here because he says, Not just the sin lie at the door, he says, But unto thee shall his desire and thou shalt rule over him. So in other words, if sin lies at the door, then Cain would be into Cain. Cain's desires and not the Lord. And then he says, and shall bear rule over him. or Yeah, or shall or rule over him. So Cain would be led by his sensual desire, what his wants are. His earthly like, his earth-like nature would rule over Cain. It's important that we understand this, what the Lord is saying. So then he says in verse 8, And Cain talked with, his, with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. So even after a long talk, can you guys imagine actually the Lord talking to you without prayer? The Lord just coming in, just talking to you, just straight out. I mean, full-on conversation saying, Cain, why are you doing this? If you do well, will you not be accepted? I mean, just telling you, but it's almost like, Cain just ignored that and said, man, where is Abel? Because I got work to do. Just like a beast. Just ignored the whole counsel of God and said, man, yeah, I hear you, but where's my brother? That's who I'm looking for right now. So he had no nature of God. So then he says, um, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. 
And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What, ha what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth um, unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which uh, hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Um, when, the, when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond um, shalt thou be in the earth. So we got to understand here. Now, Cain wasn't let off the hook. He says, when you till the ground, when you're looking for that treasure, as Jesus Christ would say, or you're looking for that fruit that we're supposed to have, it won't be there for you. So Cain was cut off. This is important that we understand this. Now, some people would say, well, how come Cain wasn't given another chance? You know why? Because they knew the Lord. It's not like the veil that we've got today over us where we, you know, Lord, is that you? Or is that somebody else? Or I've got to work to get there. I mean, the Lord was still talking to them like he spoke to their parents. He told Cain what would befall him. And Cain didn't say, but Lord, I, I don't understand what this means. I think because man was so close to the beginning, Cain understood perfectly well what God was saying. Their minds were probably in this at this time with Adam and Eve more like God than what we can possibly imagine in this carnal world. So he told Cain, that's it. And he said, and thou art cursed above the earth, which have, oh, oh, I've read that. Okay, so it says, he will be a fugitive and a vagabond, uh, shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. So notice what you hear is, I, 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 me, me, me. I will be a fugitive. I will be a vagabond. Um, this is more than I can bear. And then he says, everyone that findeth me uh, shall slay me. So who is Cain worried about? Himself. This is an early antichrist, and we're going to find out how much. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon him, lest any findeth him, finding him should kill him. So we're going to find out exactly what this mark is. You guys can read the rest of Genesis 4 in your spare time, you know, because it's going to match up perfectly with what I'm about to read in the book of Jasher. But you guys check this out. So we got to understand Cain was left to his own devices. So that was a type of punishment if you think about it. I mean, never to be able to be with the Lord again. All right, so let me just read this real quick. You guys check this out. Man, I gotta find it first. I believe it's verse. Um, you guys can speak. All right, verse thirteen. Sorry, verse thirteen says, "And she called his name of the firstborn Cain, saying, I have obtained a man from the Lord. And the name of the other she called Abel, for she said, In vanity. So in vanity, Eve said this." We came into the earth, and in vanity we shall be taken from it. And the boys grew up, and their father gave them a possession in the land, 
and Cain was a tiller of the ground, and Abel a keeper of the sheep. And it was in the in the expiration of a few years that they brought an approximating um, offering to the Lord, and Cain brought from the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought from the firstlings of his flock, from the fat thereof. And God turned and inclined to Abel and his offering, and a fire came down from the Lord of heaven and consumed it. Now, you know that this is biblically accurate because usually when the Lord did receive offerings, the fire would come down and take it. So then it says, And unto Cain and his offering the Lord did not turn, and he did not incline to it, for he had brought from the inferior fruit of the ground before the Lord, and Cain was jealous against his brother Abel on account of this, and he sought a pretext to slay him. So Cain had already had it in his mind, he wanted to kill Abel. And in some time after, Cain and Abel, his brother, went one day into the field to do their work, and they were both in the field, Cain tilling and plowing uh, his ground, and Abel feeding his flock. And the flock passed of uh, that part which Cain had plowed in the ground, and it sorely grieved Cain on this account. And Cain approached his brother Abel in anger, and he said unto him, What is there between me and thee, that thou comest to dwell, and bring thy flock to feed in my land? So Cain is saying to him, to Abel, so now Cain is mad. You got to remember this. Now you know that sheep have to have a place to eat, correct? So of course he would bring the sheep into Cain's field just to eat. So Cain is like, why are you bringing your sheep here? What is it between us that you've got to bring them over here? Now look at what Abel says. And Abel answered his brother Cain and said unto him, What is there between me and thee that thou shalt eat the flesh of my flock and clothe thyself with their wool? So, so I'm doing actually more. Okay, you might be feeding the sheep, but you're going to be clothed and you're going to have some food to eat. So don't come at me like that. Like in other words, we need each other here. So it says, and now therefore put off the wool of my sheep, which um, with which thou hast clothed thyself, and recompense me for the fruit and flesh which thou hast eaten. And when thou hast um, done this, I will then go from thy land and thou, um, I mean, as thou hast said. So Abel is like, okay, well, give me back everything that's mine then, and I'll get off your land. So then it says, And Cain said unto his brother Abel, Surely if I slay thee this day, who will require thy blood from me? So right away, Cain has got the mindset, If I do evil, who's going to stop me from doing it? Who will I have to pay a price to? Sounds like a beast, right? I'm going to do whatever. He didn't even think of God that he had a conversation with. And Abel answered, saying, Surely God, who has made us in the earth, uh, he will avenge my cause, and he will require my blood from thee, shouldest thou slay me. For the Lord is the judge and arbiter, and it is he who will requite man according to his evil, and the wicked man according to his wickedness that he may do upon earth. So right away, Abel is being looked at as he knows the Lord. I mean, this guy's quoting scripture long before it even came out that God would take care of things. So he says in verse 23, And now if thou shouldest uh, slay me here, surely God knoweth thy secret views, and I will, and will judge thee for the evil which thou did declare to do unto me this day. 
And when Cain heard those words which Abel his brother had spoken, which Abel his brother had spoken, behold, the anger of Cain was kindled against his brother, Abel for, de for declaring this thing. And Cain hastened and rose up and took an iron part of his plowing instrument, uh, with which he suddenly smote his brother and slew him. And Cain split the blood of his brother Abel upon the earth. Well, he spilt the blood upon his Abel upon the earth. And the uh, blood of Abel streamed upon the earth before the flock. And after this, Cain repented, having slain his brother. And he was sadly grieved, and he, and he wept over him, and it vexed him exceedingly. So this says here that Cain was kind of vexed for what he did for his, to his brother. And Cain rose up and dug a hole in the field, wherein he put his brother's body, and he turned um, the dust over it. So you see, it wasn't so much that Cain killed his brother, even though the Lord warned. But then Cable tried, I mean Cable, uh, Cain tries to hide his sin. He tries to bury his sin instead of bringing it to the Lord, like many of us do today. And the Lord knew what Cain had done to his brother, and the Lord appeared to Cain and said unto him, Where is thy brother Abel, that thou was with thee? And Cain dissembled and said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said unto him, What is this that thou hast done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground where thou hast slain him. For thou hast slain thy brother and hast dissembled before me and um, didn't imagine in his heart that I saw thee not, nor knew all thy actions. So this is another thing concerning Cain. We've got to understand this beast. This beast had no consciousness of God, no thoughts that God would pay attention to what he's doing. Beasts think this way. Those who will receive the mark of the beast will think this way. Man, I can do what I want. God won't mind. Now, you know when we get born again in Christ, there's some things you just can't do because your conscience is going to bother you. So when you're like this, you are without God, or you don't even want to acknowledge him. But thou did this thing and did slay thy brother for naught, and because he spoke rightly to thee, and now therefore cursed be thou from the ground which opened its mouth and received thy brother's blood from thy hand, and wherein thou um, didst bury him. And it shall be, when thou shalt tell it, uh, it shall no more give thee its strength as in the beginning. For thorns and thistles shall the ground produce, and thou shalt be moving and wandering in the earth until the day of thy, of thy, of thy death. And at the time Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, from the place where he uh, was, and he went moving and wandering in a land toward the east of Eden, uh, he and all belonging to him. And Cain knew his wife in those days, and she conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Enoch, saying, In that time the Lord began to give him rest and quiet the earth. You know what I wanted to bring up? It wasn't exactly this. This is part of the story, but... There is the book of Josephus, uh, if you guys read it, but Josephus was a historian that backs up the Bible. But there was a part in the book of Josephus, I've got to find the, um, the actual place, and you guys can read it, but he says that Cain was an inventor of different things. Cain invented something that would like grow forth fruit, and, and what um, Josephus put it, the way he put it was that the Lord liked natural things. He didn't like things that were created or formed by Cain to do. 
So that was another reason why his offering was rejected. But it's in the book of Josephus. It's in the Antiquities of the Jews. But it talks about this very story how Cain was probably, you know, I don't know, maybe GMOing. I mean, who knows? Maybe he was like doing something that was bringing up fruit fast. So it made his work seem easier. And the Lord rejected it. Yeah, Christina. This reminds me of the study we did of the strange fire, the sacrificing mm-hmm. strange things. Mm-hmm. things exactly. Not, not giving the Lord what he wanted. That, that is a good point about offering strange fire. God is only going to accept that which he, which he requests from us. All right, but I want to read one other point because I am going to go here. Now, um, if you look at that line, like I told you guys, um, it gets down to Cain's great-great-great-great-grandson, Tubal Cain. And he's going to be with his father, Lamech, and they're going to be in the field. Because if you read uh, Genesis 4, it tells, um, the Lord says, uh, remember he said, if anyone killeth Cain, it will come back sevenfold. Well, the Lord waited seven generations to deal with Cain. All right, and this is in the book of Jasher. I'm just going to read this part real quick, but this is really interesting. All right. Anybody want to add anything they can? Okay, so this is verse 24. Every time I say that, I find it. So it says, And she conceived, this is Zillah, um, she conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Tubal Cain, saying, After, after I had withered away, have I obtained him? from the Almighty God. So the book of Jasher makes clear Zillah was barren, but she eventually did have, Lamech had two wives, by the way. So he had two different women he was messing around with. One was able to have kids, the other was barren. So she finally bare before she died, and his name was Tubal Cain. So it says, and she, and she conceived again and bare a daughter, and she called her name Nama, for she said, after I had withered away, I have obtained pleasure and delight. Here's another point that I want to bring up too concerning um, Cain. But the book of Jasher even says, and so does Genesis 4 to a degree, Cain went through the earth teaching people sin. He was like the first Nimrod. He was in the earth robbing, killing, and stealing. And he became all-powerful. I mean, like as far as the earth was concerned, he and his lineage. Now, if you look it up in Genesis 4, it does mention some things about that. But Cain's family lived by might is right. That is how Cain lived, and that's how the Lord left him, which meant to say that Cain was somewhat reprobate. Once you go out from the presence of the Lord and you're not allowed back, you truly are a beast. And you guys are going to find out just how much here. So it says, um, and Tubal Cain, this is verse 26, and Lamech was old and advanced in years. And uh, his eyes were dim that he could not see. And Tubal Cain, his son, was leading him. And it was one day that Lamech went into the field, and Tubal Cain, his son, was with him. And while they were walking in the field, Cain, the son of Adam, advanced towards them. For Lamech was very old and could not see much. And Tubal Cain, his son, was very young. This is verse 27. And Tubal Cain told his father to draw his bow. And with the arrows, um, he smote Cain, and uh, who was afar off, and he slew him, for he appeared to them to be an animal. So you see, Cain didn't look anything like a person anymore. You know, out there being so long, he looked like an animal, and he's advancing towards them. So Cain would have killed his own and not even thought about it. 
So they say he looked like an animal. And the arrows entered Cain's body, although he was distant from him, and he fell to the ground and died. And the Lord requited Cain's evil according to his wickedness, which he had done, and his brother Abel according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken. Now remember the Lord said in Genesis 4 that he was going to, um, he would um, protect him sevenfold or if anybody did anything. Well, the Lord waited seven generations to get even with Cain. I know that sounds like, man, that's not very nice, but Cain was wicked to the core after he left the presence of the Lord. So this gives you a glimpse of what the mark of the beast is going to be like. You are going to be left to your devices. You will not want God. You won't even have a conscience towards him. So think about what kind of beast you would be. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? When he was lifted up in pride, the Lord gave him what? A heart of a beast, not the heart of a man. And Nebuchadnezzar was out in the dew. His hair grew long. His nails grew long. He was truly a beast for seven years. Seven. You know, for seven years until um, he recognized who the Lord was and, and the Lord gave him back the heart of a man. So I'm telling people this, that you need to have the heart of men and not the heart of beasts. This is what the Lord wants to restore us to. As many people think that they're men and women of God, but the truth of the matter is you're a beast without Jesus. And then you go through the Bible and you show people, what did Jesus say that was so wrong that you've got to hate him like this? You know what they'll go to? Leviticus. They'll go way back there. Oh, well, if a woman is on her menstrual and this is going on and that's going on, what about this? What about two turtle doves and this? What if, that was Levitical law because they were sinners, you know? But once we have the spirit, we're not going through those old teachings. But every time they try and bring up something negative about the Bible, they always take it back to Leviticus as if that's, you know, way back when. And that's when man was like deceitful, evil. All right, let's move on real quick because I know we got to close. So I'm going to go to um, uh, let's go to Revelation uh, 14. Revelation 14. We're just going to run through this because you guys are going to get a glimpse of what the mark of the beast is going to be like. All right, Revelation 14, this is right after he talked about who would have the number of the beast. And then it says, and look, I mean, I looked, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion with him and 144,000 uh, having his father's name written in their forehead. So we recognize that Christina brought this point up one time and we did a teaching of the book of Revelations before, of Revelation before concerning those who were not sealed by the devil will be sealed of the Lord. Then it says, And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping um, with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no one could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed of the Lord. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins." Uh, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. So we got to understand for those that be of Christ, they're completely different. They sing a new song. Why? Because they're singing that song of redemption. You know how good the Lord is. 
So we got to recognize, unless we're sealed of the Lord, you can't sing this song. There's nothing. That, and that's why when you mention Jesus and we start talking about him and people will say, well, why are you so excited about him? Like, all right, you talked about the Bible. That's enough. Now, why are you going to bring him up? Because they don't even understand what Jesus Christ is all about. They don't get it. They don't have that love towards him. Their love is like a, yeah, yeah, that's, that's just a hobby that I do part time. But these guys are singing. So it says that they have not defiled themselves with women. They are virgins. Now, I believe that these people will be people, um, the children of Israel, but they'll also be the church. And I believe that these people will, it's not going to mean like they didn't have a wife or whatever, but they're not giving in to sin. You know, they were not held back. And it says they followed the lamb whithersoever he goeth. So you see, the spirit will lead us into places to do his will. But unless we know Jesus Christ, we can't follow him. So we've got to believe him with everything in us. And then he says, let's go down to verse um, eight. And it says, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made uh, all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So we understand that Babylon is that um, system, that, uh, what do you call it? Religious system that all the kings of the earth have drank with. This is what they're doing right now while putting things together. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So we understand that if they go against God, for those people that have not received him, you got, you got the wrath of God to face. So, you know, that's why when the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, because, you know, even in those days when things may get rough for the Christian, if we truly believe in Jesus Christ, we'll be fine. Because we know, hey, outside of this is the wrath of God. So we've got to trust and believe him. We've got to trust the Lord. Revelation um, 15. I'm going to make this point real quick. I'm just telling everybody about what's going to happen to those with the mark. Revelation 15 and 1. And I saw another angel in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for them is filled with the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God and that's why Jesus says to the seven churches to him that overcometh we have got to overcome the world the flesh and the devil getting over the devil is not enough if you're hooked to the devil system you're hooked to the devil getting over the the mark of the beast is not enough because if you got the nature of the beast, you will accept the mark. You see how these things all tie together. If we don't have the spirit of God, we can't follow God. If you have the nature of the beast, you're going to be a part of it. So the devil is not our only problem. What Adam and Eve did when they sinned is a big problem for us. But that's why we fast. That's why we pray. That's why we want this temple to have the spirit of God in it that we may have an appetite and nature for the Lord. That's one. 
to the world, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. These things we got to overcome too because the devil can use any one of them against us. See, we don't want to be called bums. So, you know, we might just, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a bum. But you see, that's the pride of life because what you're saying is, Lord, you might have suffered in this life, but I'm not going to suffer. I'm going to live lavishly until your return. There's nothing wrong with riches, but how you distribute them even determines who you are. Because Jesus never held anything back. He told the rich, man, sell everything you got. Give it to the poor and follow me. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with riches. If you want to help people out, that's great. But we cannot keep these things to us and get into ourselves. We've got to look out for people. I mean, you know, there's times we're out there. It's kind of funny because the Lord checks my heart because we don't have much. But if we see somebody hungry or whatever, we look out for them. And now I got to worry about what I'm going to do for the week. Guess what? The Lord always shows up, always adds unto it, always gives more. Why? Because as we do for him, he'll do for us. And that's how it goes. Man, that keeps you from selfishness. If you, if you don't esteem yourself higher than others, mm -hmm. the world, the flesh, and lastly, the devil, because if you get past those two stages, you will be dealing with him direct. He will come see you. He came to see Jesus. You don't think he's going to come to see you? Mm -hmm. We got to think about that. The devil didn't back off of Jesus when he had the Holy Ghost. The devil confronted Jesus with the Holy Ghost and tried to tempt him. But the Lord overcame. And as he overcomes, we have to overcome. All in time. All in time. But when, when that mark is instituted and this thing shuts down for real, man, that your race, you better have been already running the race. There ain't no time to get to somebody and want to pray and try and find the Lord. Now, we are going to be saving people at that time to Jesus Christ. But we've got to recognize, man, you want to already be built up. Because just imagine we're all sitting here. All right, love you, brother. Have a good night. Get home safe. And next morning you turn on the news, economy is collapsed. The dollar bill is no more. Okay, now what are we going to do? Yeah, well, you know, you're in the spirit. But the thing is, is what are we going to do? Now it's like, oh, man. So that poor person I was ignoring, I'm just like him now. Because I can bring my coins. Ain't nothing in the bank. They took that. Those little dollars that you had, you can burn those up and make a fire now. Now what are you going to do? So we've got to, I mean, it would be a shock to everybody, but you'll still be, Lord, you're going to handle this. I don't know how, but I know you're going to do what needs to be done. That's how you, Exactly. In 1929, when the stock market crashed, man, they were throwing themselves off the building. You have Wall Street people killing themselves, bouncing off the curb. Because they lost their savings. But see, these people believed in their riches. Man, that's crazy. Verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Oh, I did read that already, right? And they sing a song of Moses, uh, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty, just the true, I mean, uh, just and true are thy ways, uh, thy king, Thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. So, you know, when the Lord judges and we're on his side, 
We ain't got anything to worry about. I'm going to show you guys real quick in, in 16 what it's going to be like, what the people are going to be like with the mark of the beast and in their very nature. Yeah. Um, can I just go back to two real quick? Yeah. Since you said it again. Mm -hmm. um, it said, I saw it, it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. Mm -hmm. Think of like what our temples are supposed to be when we're born again. We're supposed to be pure, purified. Mm -hmm. like, exactly. Clear, you know, and then sanctified, having that nature of Christ. Mm -hmm. But then the fire, I think of like the Holy Spirit leading us, mm -hmm. um, mingled in with our temples. And then... Um, those are have victory over the beast mm -hmm. and over his image mm -hmm. and over his mark. You know so. what? And I believe that because that sounds a lot like what's his name. Remember the guy that was telling his um thing on Judgment Day, how he said that everything just looked clear, like it was a clear blue mm -hmm. that he was talking about, and he said that you know as they were going up on the line and everything that they could see like the Lord ahead or like a shadow of him before they got to him. But yeah, that sounds very true. Like, you know, purified. I agree. Uh, that's awesome. And Christina found that. But this is Revelation 16. Yeah, and it's interesting too. It says stand on the sea of glass. Mm -hmm. uh, but it kind of makes me think of like also like that glass also being like Christ, our foundation, mm -hmm. like the rock, but still being like oh, the yeah. last rock. And know? also we become transparent, see-through mm -hmm. in the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Remember that teaching we did on the temple of God? And we talked about how the heart itself is like in a chamber like a layer of like glass and we went through the whole thing about how the throne is kind of like the heart of God when you look at the four chambers and then you have the ark of the covenant with the four priests you know that were holding it and everything but yeah that's an interesting teaching anybody want to learn more go to sound of trumpet ministries.com and look up a, a teaching called the temple of God all right so this is revelation 16 and 1 and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out the vials upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. So you see, it's not about just having the mark. It's that worship. I mean, like, you're going to believe that the devil is greater than Jesus by far. I mean, it's going to be the way that we feel about the Lord versus the devil is the way that those people are going to think about the devil versus the Lord. It's going to be a, an upside-down kingdom. So he says, uh, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard an angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. So you see that they're egging the Lord on. You know, they're cheering for him in this time of judgment. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. So you see, God, remember what we talked about a few weeks ago with Jeremiah praying that the Lord would take vengeance? He's talking about this time, and that is exactly what the Lord has done. He said, for the blood of the saints and prophets, and he has given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Now, that can kind of go back to what Moses did. Remember with the ten plagues of Egypt? We got a teaching coming up on that. But when he... um when they gave them blood, like, okay, if you guys are going to drink, this is what you're going to drink, but you're not going to have that pure water in this wicked place that won't let my people go. 
So the judgments are very similar to Exodus. Then he says, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God, almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. So the Bible calls the, the sun him. And so, you know, the sun is a living entity, and it says to scorch men with fire. So, I mean, that, this is a pretty desperate time. And men were scorched uh, with great heat and blasphemed the name of God. So they were scorched with great heat, and they're still blaspheming God. Look at this. This is what we're talking about. Um, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the, upon the seat of the beast, and uh, his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. So what are we talking about? Absolute beast. These guys are beasts, even in pain, even in torment. That they hate God like that. And that's how you feel when you... How many people do we know as close friends we tried to minister to? And minister to? And minister to? And minister to? And all they do is... Yeah, that might be your point of view, but what I see is blah, blah, blah. You know, unless they find the Lord, this is the heart of a beast. And I hate to say that, but, you know, the Bible is saying it on so many occasions. We've got to understand that these people need the Lord, but you can't make them do it. Unless God enters into the heart and changes the individual, he is a beast. They know it on their tongues, excuse me, for pain, but they, they still blaspheme God. So you see, that's what Cain would have done if he was given another chance. That's something we've got to recognize here. Man, a beast is a beast. There are some that are the children of God and some that are the children of the devil. And unless we overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, we will be as beasts. What are you thinking about? Because well, I'm about done. The, so far, the two things that are mentioned here, first it said, poured out his vial upon the sun, and a power was given unto him mm -hmm. to scorch them with fire. Mm -hmm. So couldn't that, and it said, and the men were scorched with great heat, Mm -hmm. So could that also be a representative of the fact that it's like God was trying to throw out his Holy Ghost upon them, but because they were already reprobate, mm -hmm. they didn't want to take it, so they blasphemed. Mm -hmm. And the next one, when it said, the fifth angel poured out upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. Mm -hmm. well, we started out talking about that tonight, the tongue being the smallest member, mm -hmm. but it's also one of the most powerful members. Mm -hmm. So kind of like, and they still blaspheme. And I believe that there are there are two different groups here too. I believe there are some that have received the mark that are doing this, but then I also think that there are others when it says they repented not. I believe that you know that's one their nature, and two that was God kind of, you know this is the this is the Lord's wrath that we're reading here. Mm -hmm. So these people they can't repent even if they wanted to. They would not. They would rather die then worship Jesus Christ. And you got people feeling like that today. I was going to say there were two groups, but then again, you know, I believe while these vials are going on, you know, um, I think it's in Revelation 8 maybe where it talks about 
boulders were, were falling on the people and people were still shaking their fist at God, still hating the Lord. But I think at that point, it's like he was giving them space to repent. But once his wrath comes, he's coming to get the whole world. I mean, Revelation 11, they killed the two witnesses that were telling people about the Lord. I mean, well, they when the two witnesses were killed by the beast, what did they do? They started giving each other gifts and, yeah, I'm glad they're gone because they were holding us back and wouldn't let it rain and blah, blah, blah. So these people hate God. So if you guys get a chance in your spare time, read Titus uh, 1, 1 through 16, where it talks about the Cretans or beasts. Remember, they're slow belly that they hate the Lord. So their God would be their belly, these people. And read um, 2 Peter chapter 2, which we go through where the Bible calls them natural brute beasts, that these people don't even want the Lord. So we've got to understand that man without Jesus Christ is a beast. So as far as this mark is concerned, is it a big deal? Not really, because the mark is only the finishing touches on what's going to play out. The nature, the name of the beast, and the number of his name, of his name that's the issue. Man, fallen man, degenerate man. He needs to change and Christ needs to step in. Because other than that you become a tool of the enemy and, and you don't have to worry about a mark. You will accept it because it's in your very nature to do so. So, you know, come to Jesus Christ. Let him clean out your life. Let him work on you so that way we won't have to worry about receiving the mark. Because he's the only one that didn't receive the mark. That's fine. Jesus Christ is the only one that did not receive the mark. The devil offered it to him in the wilderness. Hey, if you receive them, you know, hey, what about these kingdoms? And notice each time the devil offered something to Jesus, he said, if you will bow down and worship me, we better learn to open up our mouths and serve the Lord for real. Because if we stay silent in times like these, if we don't minister the gospel in times like these, you're already bowing. If you like what the beast likes, if you eat what the beast eats, if you do what the beast does, you are already bowing. Let the Lord raise you up, get you on your feet, and let us walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. So that's the lesson for tonight. I know you already said you don't have anything. That's fine. Um, so from here, I guess we can close out. You're good, right? Okay. He's praying out. Does anyone understand? Is everything, you know, understood? No, or, okay. Yeah. All right. I don't want to close like that without no one knowing what's up. Are you feeling better now? I mean, you were sick. Yeah. Right. You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? I told you that. I felt better. Thank you, Jesus. Who's praying out? I am. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Heavenly Father. We thank you um, for tonight's study. We thank you for um, just coming and having your presence upon us and uniting us and giving us this message of um, taking the mark, Lord. I just pray that um, as we heard your words tonight, that we search deep into our hearts, into the deep chambers, into the crevices, um, and really reflect on our nature who are we? Who are we becoming in Christ? Um, how can we continue to stay on your narrow path, Lord, and stay focused on you? And 
not get distracted by all the storms and the winds around us trying to knock us off um, from your way, Lord Father. I pray that you reveal those things to us and that your light drive out any darkness that is trying to lead us astray, Lord. I pray that you reveal any wolves that are covered in sheep's clothing, Lord Father. I just ask that um, we test it by its fruit. And Father, I ask that we don't compromise anything in our walk and the people we are ministering with and our friends, Lord Jesus. I ask that we um, just really, really want to surround us ourselves around people who have an appetite for you and people who don't. I just ask that you help us forgive people who are hurting in their own lives, but they do not know what they're doing, Lord, who are against us, but they are ignorant of their ways, Father. I ask that you just give us spiritual eyes to see deeper beyond the person of what's going on and to love them despite um, the differences, Lord. And I ask that you give us the strength to pray for them and to bring them to you, to know you in the intimate way that we know you. It is such a blessing that we are able to hear your voice. It is such a blessing that we are able to hear the truth and the word of God and receive it and have an inclined ear. And I ask that we don't take that for um, granted and that we stay firm in your in a solid foundation, not being blown to and fro, Lord Father. I pray for um, just healing upon all of our hearts and our bodies, our temples. Uh, there's a lot of sickness trying to go around and attack us. There's a lot of sickness trying to go around and attack our minds, um, where we know that's where the spiritual battle is happening, Lord. So I ask that you just help us put the helmet on this of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, Lord, the shield of faith and our whole armor, and that we just prepare ourselves and our walk with you daily and that we become more hungry for you every day, Lord Father. Um, I pray that for us, Lord, and I pray that um, we are just able to help build each other up so that we can go into the world and bring people to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.